Hey everybody, it's Kim, the host of Multiracial White Boy, the podcast where I examine the impact of my white upbringing by having personal discussions with other mixed individuals about race and racial identity in America. Before I introduce our first guest, every week I want to try to read one of the DMs because I get a lot of them on Instagram and even on Facebook. This particular DM kind of meant a lot to me um, because it was from an individual named James Eidson. Now, just so you know, James went to the same high school as I did like 100 years ago. Kidding. 1991. That's when we that's when I graduated. I'm an old man. Generation Xer. So it was cool to suddenly have him reach out and say, brother, I absolutely am loving the podcast being half Mexican half white, growing up in Escondido. That's where he and I went to to high school and grew up in San Diego. So it says it wasn't the easiest thing sometimes, especially coming from a huge, well-known Mexican side. But I love listening to this when I'm driving. Keep it up. Like I said, we went to high school together, but I had no idea James was half Mexican and that it wasn't easy on him. But his message made me think about the relationships I had back in high school. Because I wish I could have asked others around me and those I had a relationship with how they feel. How you feeling? Or ask what's going on in their lives. But thank you, James. Your message was seriously awesome. I woke up that morning. I got it. And uh, thank you again. Moving on, today's guest is Lauren Shields. Lauren is essentially an entrepreneur. She does yoga, she does wellness, Pilates, Reiki, um, but of course she's much more than that. I wanted to, and I reached out to Lauren because she was featured on the IG page, the Instagram page called Mix Girl Problems. Follow them. They're great. But like I said, Lauren's story was featured. And I reached out to her because according to her, she has always struggled to share her journey as a mixed woman. So in her words, my mom is a white woman of English and Irish descent. My father is a black man of African and Native American, Cherokee, and Choctaw lineage. When I was a kid, I believed I was everything. Everything as in every race. How my genes were expressed in my appearance didn't truly affect me until I left college, however. The question always came up, what are you? I'm mixed, but from a small town in Illinois. Then they would scour my face for proof. I don't see it, they would say. But is your dad black black? I began to question who the fuck I was. I would sit in tanning beds in the winter to maintain my color. I thought it was so unfair that I was this strange bird that fit nowhere. I wasn't really a black woman, but I wasn't white either. And I had zero connection to my indigenous heritage. You could probably tell obviously where this story might be going. Lauren is more white in passing. And she obviously didn't never fit in with the black community. She, you know, she didn't feel good enough for the black community. She didn't feel good enough for the white community. 
We see that a lot with mixed people. But what I didn't see coming during our conversation is when Lauren opens up about how this lifelong struggle ate away at her to the point where she developed a lot of self-hatred toward herself. And I'm grateful that she did open up about this topic regarding self-hate as a result of being mixed and her mixed identity because I related to it all too well. Trust me, all these negative feelings about our mixed identity eventually become internalized and you feel a sense of shame about who you are. It sucks. (laughs) So when she brought this up, it made me think of something Brene Brown said on her podcast. The quintessential elicitor of shame is an unwanted identity. Again, The quintessential elicitor of shame is an unwanted identity. I am happy, however, to report that there is a great deal of redemption in regards to Lauren's story. And there's ayahuasca involved. It doesn't get any better. This story. This is Lauren Shields. You know, talk to me about that. Your mom, the dad. So, yeah, I am the second child of my parents' um, marriage. And my older brother is much darker than I am. He looks biracial. um, And I came out as what my, my black family called me the yellow baby. um, Cause I came out so, (laughs) so yellow. And um, yeah. So, you know, it's something that has been, um, like kind of a lifelong process of understanding. I'm still coming to a place of understanding it and being able to speak on um, that process um, or even without asking like permission to do so. Right. Right. I was telling my mom right before I got on this call, I was like, you know, people want me to talk about my race or ethnicity or, you know, whatever you would call it. Um, But it's so hard because it, for me, because it's so complex. Um, you know, so I, I, I share things like, you know, people have asked me for a long time, what are you? And so I would say like, my mom is white, my dad's black, but I feel like that's so that's like oversimplifying it. Um, and then if I were to say, well, my dad is African-American and, and Cherokee and Choctaw, and then my mom's white, that's also kind of negating the lineage that I have from my, from my mother's family. So I do think it's important for me to say that my heritage is English, Irish, and even some Scottish, um, and then as well as um, Indigenous and African-American. It's scary because you want to talk about your own story, but what happens is like you, you feel like you're going to be put on a pedestal for everyone where it's just your point of view. Yes. And I, and I also feel, I feel very much like right in the middle. So I have a a terrible tendency of being a people pleaser. So I want to speak to my black side. I want to speak to my white side, but then I only want to speak to my black side, but then I feel bad that I'm leaving out the white side, or I only want to speak to my white side and I feel bad that I'm leaving out the black side. And then, you know, my indigenous heritage, um, you know, where does that fit in? And so for me, it's just, you know, for me, it's been a process of learning to just speak my personal truth and to understand that not everybody is going to resonate with that. 
but that me speaking and, and, you know, for them to have my, my, um, that picture and that caption that they posted, that was a really strange experience for me to like read it and then see other people's opinions. Um, because there are a lot of people just like me and we've been told that we don't exist. And, um, it is really freeing to see somebody who looks like you and has the same story as you to say like, Oh my gosh, I'm not this total, oddity you know in the world like we do exist yeah but it's also isn't it just as freeing to not give a shit what other people think yes absolutely and not, and, yes. And, and i don't mean that in an arrogant way where you're like you know i don't care what people think it's more coming to a place of like here's my story and that's it and 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 because it, it, it goes back to those trust me i know the people pleasing issues all too well, <laughs> all too well because of my own circumstance. Um, but I think it's just, it sounds just as freeing for you to find acceptance of people that identified with your story that were like you, but also people that finally understood you. But I want to go yeah. back. I want to go back to, you talked about how, and I'm just going to go to the topics that you, you brought up in your thing and I want to expand on them. Yes. On the Instagram page. Uh, so you believe that you, you were every ethnicity as a kid. So why did you believe that? I just thought that, I don't know. It was just my understanding. Like I believed that I was, I remember specifically believing that I, I must be part Chinese, that I must be all of these different cultures of the world. And my mom really instilled in us like this awareness of all these different cultures in the world through like a lot of books that she um, bought for us. And I just thought, well, if I'm, if I'm mixed, I must be a mixture of everything. And I remember thinking that when I was like in second and third grade, um, when I was just beginning to have an awareness of race and ethnicity. Um, so that was just me. Like there was no container for an understanding of it. It was just like me, like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm everything. <laughs> I did the same thing because I was adopted from Vietnam. I didn't know who the father was. We knew who the mother was. She was Vietnamese. Maybe you were like me where you created this narrative in your head because you felt free to. Yeah. And so yes. I kind of felt like, well, my father was this guy. He was a guy from he was that guy from Platoon, the badass. <laughs> yes. You know, and then I got my 23 and me and I, I kind of had the same lineage. You know, I had African-American in me, 14 percent Southern, you know, I think you have Iberian in you too. Did you mention that? I have no, no, I, I don't. I have never done my 23 in me yet. Oh man. I'm you, so I'm like you would probably really be like nervous. me, like all over the place. So <laughs> yes. I'm interested because you said how when you grew up in a small town in Illinois, mm -hmm. um, people probably saw you as I'm assuming they saw you just as Lauren, Lauren Shields. Yes. But you yep. but once you stepped out of your community they finally saw you for you. And that's what happened to me when I went to college. I grew up with this all American family. They were white and it gave me this honorary sense of a white person really. But once I stepped out, I, I got all of it, Hawaiian, Asian, and it kind of, it freaked me the fuck out to be honest. So yes. what about you? Talk about that college. Like what, <laughs> where did you go to college and you know, yeah. So, um, so I grew up in a very 
mixed community. I grew up around a lot of black people. I grew up around a lot of white people. So that helps, I'm sure everybody, yeah. And everybody knew that I was, I was mixed. Everybody knew that I was biracial. There would be a couple jokes here and there from my friends. They would be like, Oh, you're like an Oreo or you're like a zebra or things like that. And I would shut that down pretty fast because I was very sensitive to that. Really? Kind of stuff. You didn't, you didn't play along with it. I hated it. I was like, I would give people that I was like, no, 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 no. I am me. I didn't even like the term mulatto for a long time. I was like, I'm not a mule. I'm not like, I'm me. Um, I didn't, I didn't like how people tried to simplify or create something else for them to understand what I was or who I was. That's interesting that you were an advocate for yourself because that's something I didn't do enough of. And people that I have had on the podcast didn't do enough of because they were afraid to eat those, all those microaggressions coming your way. Yes. They didn't know what to do. And they, it's, it's always like we've been taught not to do anything and just play it safe and not exactly. I, fortunately for me, I was a very feisty young woman. I was like always in trouble. I was pretty angry a lot of like high school. So I was like quick to like fight back with people. But when I, when I did go to college, that was when people started coming up to me and saying like, what are you? Or, you know, I would, I remember um, hanging out with a group of girls and they were, they were a group of white girls from, um, I went to school at Illinois State University first. I went there for two years and I um, was hanging out with a group of white girls that were from the Chicago suburbs. And they would kind of tell me like, and my hair is naturally really curly and it's usually very big. And they would say, Lauren, you know, your hair is just so big and your nails are so long. And you're, yeah, I would have these big hoop earrings on that would sit on my shoulders and your earrings are just too big. And, um, you know, that was the beginning of kind of people telling me like, wow, you're really too much. You're too, basically too ethnic, <laughs> you know? I was just going to say, it's so like, con- the context there was like, you're ghetto. You're kind of ghetto. Yes, Tell yes. me your story. Yes. So, so did they know that your parents were black, that your yes, father was black? Yes, but they really had no context of, I appear to be a white girl, you know? So they're like, but I don't understand, like she's white, but why is she acting like this? And why is she dressing like this? And why does she like this music? And so that was like just such a strange thing. And, you know, I found my people, but I got pregnant with my son right at the beginning of my sophomore year. So I changed schools to Northern Illinois University. I was pretty much with my fiance the entire time. I didn't really have a lot of friends, finished up school, moved back home. But and and all of that time, I would get this like, well, what are you? What are you? What? And so I started telling people like, well, guess (laughs) I'd be like, you have to guess. And they would, I would tell them, you'll never get it. You'll never guess because they would say like, you know, you're, you're uh, Latina or you're Spanish or you're Portuguese or Greek, or, I mean, and they would go through every single ethnicity around the world. And I would be like, no, I'm black and I'm white and I'm indigenous. And Um, so that went on for a long time. And I, you know, I remember dating, I dated mostly, um, my, my first husband was white and my high school sweetheart was white. And they would tell me like, no, you're just a white girl. And they never like really got like, they get to decide. 
Like they get to decide and they're telling me because I would always say like, I want to, I want to connect more with my black family or I want to spend more time with them. And they would say, you know, you're just a white girl, like, like kind of like, let it go and just be white. (laughs) So in college though, it sounded like it really affected you. Like you mentioned that you, people used to survey your face for proof in that you oh went to tanning gosh. beds. Like, so it obviously yes. you were internalizing shit and it was, and it was affecting you without even knowing it. I had the same thing. Yeah. You know, Cause I went to Boise state and I grew up in San Diego and like, I lost all that brownness. Cause I, yes. I came to, I remember I, I came to college. I was surfing all summer. And I was super tan and I looked like a Hawaiian people were just like, what are you? And that's, that affected my initial meeting pre- people an impression initially and their impression of me. So, but you seem like you, it, you acted on the things that were feeling like that it was giving you an inadequacy. Yes. And so absolutely. So I would tan in the winter times. I would always have um, a tanning package that started in college. I started tanning um, in the winter time. I would tan before I went to go work out. Um, and, and yes, the people, you know, the responses that I got, it was just, it was just really hard. I mean, people would look at me and say things like, um, I would tell them what I was and people, yeah, would scan my face and they'd look and they'll be like looking me up and As down. As if like looking closer is going to make it like more, is going to validate them. <laughs> They're going to find it. And then I'm going to be valid as a mixed <laughs> person. And so they, so they would be like, no, I just don't see it. Like you don't have any black qualities. And that would make me feel so insecure about myself. Like I don't have any quality. There's nothing on my outside that matches my inside. And I would always feel like, God, I wish, why am I just not a little bit darker? Why couldn't I be just a little bit darker or have some other quality to my physical appearance that was like a dead giveaway that I didn't always have to have these conversations? Um, A lot of times people would say like, well, your dad must not be black, black like he must be light skinned black or he must not be black. And my dad is a beautiful black man with chocolate skin. And, you know, then I'm like, oh, let me pull up a picture for you. And it's like, why am I having to prove my, my lineage yeah. for these people for no reason? And it feels like those things, cause I've had to do the same thing. Like those moments when people make you feel that, that like, they, look, the world sees you that way. You internalize it. But what it does, though, it, it, that's why I was the people pleaser. It sounds like that's why you were the people pleaser, because everything becomes not good enough. And I don't understand the logic about them claiming, well, your, your dad must just not be black enough. So that's why your skin ended up more yes. white. <laughs> that's like, what it's, the fuck? What the fuck? Like, <laughs> seriously. And then, and then, so here's the thing is like, so I have my... So everyone in my fam, my dad's side of my family says that I resemble my great aunt, my grandmother's sister, who I never met, but all of her kids are very, they're all black, but very yellow, very, very light skin freckles and everything. And so then I'm like scrolling, let me show you a picture of my uncle Charlie. Like, you know, he's, he looks, I look like I could be his daughter, but I'm his cousin's daughter. And, you know, like it just goes into like all of this weird, um, 
trying to make proof. The other thing that I would get is, oh, no wonder you're so cool. Or I knew there was something that I liked about you or, um, you know, things like that, which is also like, oh, it's just so strange to me. No wonder you have soul. No wonder you Yes. (laughs) No wonder you're so cool. Like you, you're cool around us. Like I would get that from a lot of black people. A lot of black people would be like, oh, that's why you're so cool. Like I was wondering, it was something about you. And I, I, I enjoyed that one. You know, it was strange to me, but I enjoyed it because I felt like, okay, I'm being validated. I'm being accepted. It is, I'm sure, cool and feels validating. But at the same time, it's kind of the same thing that the white people were doing when they, when you were getting acceptance from them. Same, same, yes. Yet it, it sounds like the void, though, mostly has been as a result of not you not being black enough, right? And you that, can't, from your father. Yes. And the other part, the other piece that goes along with that is that growing up, I didn't have a super solid relationship with my dad. And so there were, there were long amounts of times that I went without seeing him, you know, I'd go for a couple of years without seeing him. So with that, I didn't see his family as much, you know, I talk about like, how I was very angry growing up when there were times to go and hang out with him and his family, I would be like, no, I'm not going like, because I was so hurt and angry. But what happened was I missed out on learning my culture. You know, I missed out on those types of things as well through that process. So, you know, what I've learned about what it means to be a black woman, a woman of color, I've learned from all of my black girlfriends. And, and those are people that I really, that I was very close with. I mean, I have girlfriends that I was close with from elementary school that I'm still best friends with and then high school, but we really reconnected when I came home from college. Yeah. You mentioned that they taught you to play cards. They taught you how to make cook soul food yes, and things like that. So I didn't know that about your father and that's really interesting, but it, it sounds like your friends embracing you, your bl- the black community embracing you. Yes. And not, and also not having your dad's side come over for dinner and things like that, because whatever reason you had going on with your dad, but that community, I don't want to say they rescued you, but they brought a sense of value to your life and to your sense of being. Yes. Yes. So it was like, okay, I can finally just be myself and I don't have to explain myself. Like, you know, and to this day, they are those people. Like when I go and see them, I'm at home because I don't have to explain my, my bigness and, you know, my, just like all the kind of weird mixed up parts of me, they know me and they understand me and they value me. And they, they are so incredibly affirming of, um, you know, if anybody else doesn't get you, we get you. And we see you as a black woman. We see you as a mixed woman. We see you as this, you are one of us. And that has been, um, that relationship with them is, has been so incredibly healing. Um, also when I moved to Atlanta where my dad lives and, um, a lot of my dad's side of the family lives, I was able to reconnect with, with my aunt, his older sister. And so 
she has also been that force for me as well to affirm me and to teach me things, um, teach me just being with her teaches me culture and what it means to be a woman of color and to know that the, the pieces in me that I feel intuitively are right. It's not something that doesn't belong. It's in fact, who I am. Did it also make you more comfortable in your skin? Yes. Yes. But it wasn't until this last year that I finally got to a place where I was like, I'm totally free and, and so incredibly comfortable with myself because I was still, you know, very aware that when I'm with, even when I'm hanging out with my brothers, I have three younger brothers. They're, they're black, black men. When I'm with them, the way that people may look at us and perceive us, you know, I went out with my cousin one time. I used to go out with my cousin all the time when we were both single and we would get stares from everybody. And I'm like, why is everybody staring at us? And he's like, they think we're a couple. And so, you know, even that kind of stuff, but it, it was this year I went through uh, 2020, I went through a divorce and my partner was very similar. He was Italian. He wanted me to look like an Italian woman and kind of play that Italian part. And I kind of went along with it, but I was missing a piece of myself and not went along with it in the sense that I was like pretending to be someone else, but like, he always wanted my hair, dark hair, like straightened and blown out and me to not be this like, you know, ghetto kind of ratchet side of myself. He wanted me to be this very polished version of myself. And, um, and this year I just went through a lot of like spiritual awakening and opening and, um, connecting with a lot of people that I was able to kind of go in and do this work. That's been, you know, the work of this, like kind of false identity of always questioning who you are instead of like knowing who you are. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to just, I just want to be me and I'm, I'm not going to straighten my hair anymore. And I'm, and so like for the rest of the year, I didn't blow this is the first time in so long that I've blown out my hair and I'm finally doing it. Not because I don't like my curly hair. I'm doing it just because I want to change with my hair, you know? Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, a relationship always does that to you anyways, especially once things, you know, go South and you, 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 you recently went through a divorce and it's funny how you look back and you realize that, oh my God, that whole time I was playing along with what a, another person wanted because, you know, they wanted me to see me that way. And that's always been part of like what you go through as a person of mixed identity in a way. Yes. Yes. And you're always trying to kind of like show up as what makes everybody else comfortable. Yeah. So all that work that you did and it's always going to be a work in progress. What, what is one specific thing that you've done? Um, either physical reading that's really helped kind of free yourself. So I think the most pivotal, pivotal thing for me was I, um, sat with ayahuasca. I started working with a shaman. Have you heard of ayahuasca? Yeah. I watched the, you know, I've, I've, I kept hearing about it. Then I watched, um, Chelsea Handler's show where she did ayahuasca. And yes. so, Okay. Let's so that was <laughs> walk me through every step because I'm fucking really curious. <laughs> a 
Oh my gosh. I, so I got this, I get this message from a woman that I have been following on Instagram. I've got kind of a girl crush on her. She's this beautiful, gorgeous black woman an entrepreneur. We're like super close friends now, but I was just like such a cheerleader of her. And I just adored her. She sends me a message. It's in May, like the thick of, you know, George Floyd had just been murdered. Amy Cooper thing had gone on in New York. I was at rock bottom. I had completely just lost myself. I'd just gone through a divorce. I have a yoga studio. The yoga studio was closed. My kids were at home with me out of school. And then all of that stuff happened and I'm an empath. And so I'm like, I have to heal everyone. And I have to like speak for the collective and I have to, you know, and I was really carrying all of this pain and she messages me and she's like, I'm doing this private retreat. Do you want to come? And I'm like, hell yeah. So I send her my number. She sends me this, you know, I'm in the wellness business. So I, I see Sham and I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I'm like, I just need to be around other women right now. So I'm like, yeah, I'll go, but I drag my feet on it. So by the time two days later, I, she responds to me and she's like, it's already full. So I'm like, okay, fine. You know, I don't need to go anyways. I don't need to spend the money. I don't need to whatever. She texts me back and she's like, we have an opening. Do you want to come? So I'm like, yes, yeah, send her the money right away. I never fully read the invite to the retreat because I'm just like, I just need to be around other women. And you got a lot um, going on in your life. You just need <laughs> a, a, some kind of release. Exactly. So I um, am ready to go. And I, I, I'm like, I feel like I'm going to have a journey on this retreat. And so I go back and I start reading the, the, um, the invite and it's ayahuasca plant medicine that the shaman is going to be providing, um, ayahuasca. And I had heard another yoga teacher speak about it, but I had never really done a whole lot of research. So I began to cleanse and everything. Let me tell you, this medicine is like 20 years of therapy in one night. And everyone says that. Is oh it really, really make everything come full circle emotionally? Cause I, I, I heard it heals trauma. Oh gosh. Yes. It was there. There was so much trauma that I healed and just became aware of. And, um, I think I was really open to it in that place. And, um, so, you know, what, what the journey that I went through was, I had realized that I had this deep self-hatred because of the way that I looked. And that sounds so dramatic and intense. No, I fucking totally understand. Like self-hatred is what came yeah, up. Yeah, self-contempt, hatred. Yes. yes uh, you were not that, aware of negative self-talk that you weren't controlling or no. being aware of. Wow. Yes. And so I was just like, it was just so intense. The, the, the thing about ayahuasca is it's like being conscious in your subconscious. You kind of wade through all of these things. Like at one point I was pregnant with myself and, um, and, you know, kind of going through that journey of kind of healing myself, things that I, traumas, I didn't really even know that were there. And so I get to this point of like, I, I hate myself and I'm realizing that I've only appreciated myself for what I could do for other people, serving other people, performing. I was a dancer for a long time, performing for other people, looking pretty for other people, the way that other people wanted, you know, aesthetically for me to look, whether that was more ethnic or whether that was more whitewashed. 
I realized that like, I had never fully loved my body. And this is why I had some of these self-sabotaging behaviors, like, you know, having these bad relationships, picking men who would put me down. And, um, and so it was just, it was so beautiful. So at one point, so there's this big altar and all these little tea lights on it. And one of the women next to me, cause we're in a circle the the, it's like a 12 hour ceremony overnight. We're in this circle. And one of the women next to me is having like all this super heavy energy. So I'm like, I need to step forward. I need to step away from the energy. And I step up to the altar and I sit down on the corner of the altar. All of a sudden I'm at my ancestors fire and I'm sitting at the fire and I'm like praying at the fire and I can still see in my mind, the village around me and the people around me. And all of a sudden this woman comes up to me, a real woman, a woman who was with the shaman and she throws her arms around me. She's standing over me and she puts her arms around me. I'm going to try and say it without getting emotional, but she says to me, I want to tell you that anything that anyone who has ever told you that you weren't enough, that you weren't this, or you weren't that you, you weren't worthy of anything was a lie. And it was a more of a reflection of them because the truth is that you are everything and you never have to choose. You never had to choose and you never do have to choose. You are everything. And she held me in these soft arms. And I just, wept. I Were you scared as hell when she came around you and was saying these things? Because that must've been hard when people tell you all these good things about you that, and you're going through that, you're realizing all the self-hatred that you felt. It must've been overwhelming as hell. So good, but also scared to accept that. It was the arms of my grandmother. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was, it was everything that I needed. No, I wasn't scared at all. It was like, yes, hold me. And I held on to her back. And when she let go of me, I wanted to kiss her feet. It was just like, she was the embodiment of my female ancestors, my indigenous lineage, my father's mother, who I never got to meet. And we're, we're still friends to this day. And she tells me, she's like, spirit pulled me out of what I was doing and said, that girl right there, you need to go over to her and give her this message. And she said, yeah, but she's praying over there. I don't want to bother her. And she was like, no, go over there and give her this message right now. That was just, again, such so much validation um, that I don't have to pick, that I can be right here in the middle and be everything that I really don't have to always placate left or right, that I am the intersection of ethnicities and and the races that, that I embody, that there's a reason why I look the way that I do. There's a reason why I am who I am. It's not by a mistake. You know, I'm a direct reflection of my ancestors. And that's really, I really connected in that ceremony to my ancestors, not only to um, my Black ancestors, but deeply to my Indigenous ancestors. Um, and so that was, that was really amazing too, because I really have this feeling that my, the Black side of my family is more in, Indigenous to North America than to Africa. It's just Mm. a feeling that I have just because of like physical characteristics that a lot of us have. 
but yeah, so, so the ayahuasca was just so incredibly, um, a healing experience for me. And now I have all of my grandmothers on my altar. I talk to them all the time. And that is a way for me to connect to my bloodline, my lineage to know, like, I'm, I'm just, I'm perfect. I'm exactly who I'm supposed to be that like, it wasn't a mistake that I'm so white. Like I'm a reflection of someone in my lineage. Despite the ayahuasca journey and how you feel about yourself now, I'm, I've still got to imagine that the old worst part of ourselves, yourself comes up once in a while. And are you, but are you much more prepared to deal with that stuff now, the negative talk and all those kind of things that come up where you could tell them to get out? Fuck off. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Basically. Yeah. You know, like I, I, you know, it's been my practice this past year to when I'm getting dressed and I want to wear something that when that voice comes up as like, well, what would they want me to wear? Or Mm. what will people think of me if I wear this outfit? Um, I catch myself. I, I'm very aware of that voice and I'll stop and I'll say, what do you want to wear? How do you want? So now you have, yeah. So now you, you've kind of reached reprogrammed yourself to, not follow that voice that says, well, of course, and that, and that, that becomes the person that wants to, to feel that side, the white side or, yes. the side or the black side, but like you found safety walking the tightrope in the middle. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And there's also like, you know, I'll be around like my black girlfriends and they'll be like, you know, that's the white side of you. Right. And so, or vice versa. And so I've kind of made peace with that, that there are parts of me that are from black culture or from white culture and things like that, that I can acknowledge that those pieces exist in me. And that's not something that I need to be um, feeling negative about that. That's my, my makeup. I, you know what? I didn't think about that. And that's, you know, I, I, it's so great that you brought the idea that I, yeah, like, cause your old self probably would have said when that friend said that to you, that's so white of you or whatever may have gotten offensive. Yeah. But now, and and I, I feel that too, but now it's like, it is part of me and I'm okay with it. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. It's like, cause yeah, I'm, I'm white too. Like, yeah, I'm black but I'm also white, but I'm mixed. And so, yeah, of course there'll be those things that come up. Like, you know, my black girlfriends will joke around about like, you know, we'll get out of the car and I'll be like, put everything on the trunk, you know, hide all your valuables and all this stuff. And like, if my stuff gets broken into and they're like, you know, that's the white side of you. Right. And I'm like, I know, but I'm just saying, I still want us to lock up our valuables. You know, it's just (laughs) something that it's something that I've realized that I don't have to take everything so personal anymore and that I can stand firm in knowing who I am. And when I do that, I also teach people around me to respect me for who I am that so yes, you've created you are, boundaries. Yes. Yeah. Which is, is huge a, for the people pleaser. Yeah. Huge. Uh, creating boundaries, bring personal value to you and make yes. you value yourself a lot more. Yeah. Look, so much. Um, I always end this podcast by you finishing a sentence. So if you could finish it, please. Um, sure. I feel optimistic about black indigenous and people of color because. Mm. 
because they are so incredibly healing, the complexities, the dynamics, the resilience is so incredibly healing for themselves, ourselves, and the entire world. Thank you again, Lauren. That was a great, great conversation. Um, Again, if you want to follow Lauren just on Instagram, just I think you can search the Lauren Shields finder. Um, She's a really kind individual. I knew nothing about her. I don't know her. I just reached out to her on Instagram and was like, hey, I like you know, it was on, again, it was on that great Instagram page, Mixed Girl Problems. Follow them, like I said, because they do fe- they do always cool features about uh, women who are mixed. And I didn't know her. We met just on Zoom. She was really thoughtful and kind. And you just, it amazed me sometimes because I don't know these people. And then they just, we just start opening up and we start talking. And you really see them and respect them and understand them. So thank you, Lauren. I'm Kim, the host of Multiracial White Boy. Please follow us on Instagram at Multiracial White Boy. Actually, it's just Multiracial White Boy. Just search it. Anyways, please subscribe. Please write a review. Please share the podcast. Three things. Do it. Thank you again, everybody. Have a great week.